Welcome to A Wild New Work, Ecological Guidance for Your Career. This podcast is about how to take wise, soul-centered action in your work life, and it's all based on the wisdom of nature. I'm your host, Megan Leatherman. Hi, friends. Welcome to part two of our Work as a Sacred Practice series. Um, If you missed part one, you can, uh, you know, pause and go back to that one or listen after this. Um, These episodes are independent enough that you can listen to whatever, you know, catches your fancy. But I do encourage you to check out part one, which is on what spirituality can do for your career. This week, I'm sharing some thoughts about our daily practices and how our daily practices, the way that we choose to move through our workdays, can nourish us and help us cope with the sort of Uh, toils of modernity, but also help us to build a path toward careers that are meaningful to us and that are a better use of our strengths and our gifts and that really honor what we want out of this life. Um, So I'm excited to share some theory with you today, but also some very practical tips on how to feel better through your work days and how to kind of empower yourself to create a career and a work life that fits for you and whatever it needs to be at this time. So if you missed part one, I'll just let you know that the format of this episode will be a little bit different. So this is part of a larger course that's going on um, that's free and being offered to everyone who signed up for my email list. Um, so you can get the entire learning module by signing up at the link in the show notes or just going to the homepage of awildnewwork.com. Um, and so this, what I'll be reading to you today is the essay that's included in this week's module, but there are also um, journaling prompts, a tarot spread that comes with it, a whole list of external resources that can, can support you in going deeper with this, um, and also some astrological insights on the moon and what your moon sign is and what that can mean for your emotional well-being and um, how you take care of yourself in and outside of work. So there's a lot available here, again, totally for free right now. Um, And there will be three more learning or two more learning modules, excuse me, there are four total coming out um, in the first week of December and the second week of December. We're going to skip the week of Thanksgiving, which is uh, next week. So If you are interested, I would love for you to sign up and get the entire learning module, or you can just settle in and um, see what I have to share today. I also want to make sure that if you are in Portland, you know that we will be having a discussion group about spirituality and work and some of the things that I've shared through this series. We'll be meeting on December 4th, Wednesday at 9 a.m. here in Portland at a private home. Um, It's going to be just a really nice time to connect and create some community for those of you who want to take things deeper in your career or who want to, you know, find or create work that is a better fit for you and your gifts and want to do that in a way that honors your energy and the efforts that you put into your work. So there are already some really lovely people signed up. I'll be there facilitating, of course, and I'd love to have you and meet you and you know, include you in this conversation. Um, So there's a link for that as well in the show notes um, or in the emails that I have been sending for part one and two if you're already on the email newsletter list. Um, And if you sign up today, 
for the, or if you sign up for the learning modules, you will also get a link to the discussion group. I'm not posting it publicly because I want it to be only available for those who have at least seen or you know somewhat engaged with the work as a sacred practice material, but there are plenty of ways um, for you to get it. So with that, why don't I read our opening invocation and then I will move on to narrating, narrating this week's essay. So wherever you are, go ahead and just settle in, maybe take a deep breath, sink into your body a little bit deeper. May this episode and each of us that are listening to it be blessed and emboldened to do the work we're meant to do on this planet. May our work honor our ancestors, known and unknown, and may it be in harmony with all creatures we share this earth with. I express gratitude for all of the technologies and gifts that have made this possible, and I'm grateful to the Chinook people, who are the original stewards of the land that I'm on. And of course, I'm grateful to this earth, which continues to support us and provide for all of our needs. If you're like most people, your days are probably very busy. Even if you feel less active than you'd like to be, you're still moving through life much faster than your ancestors ever did. Our bodies were designed to process complex situations, connect on a deep level, and to heal themselves when sick. Our bodies are incredible systems, so resilient and strong in their own unique ways. But even these bodies, which have evolved for millennia and survive in almost any climate, have a limit. Consider an ancestor of yours that lived 10,000 years ago. Imagine someone very similar to you, someone full of hopes and dreams, full of the same needs and desires. Imagine them walking back to their home after a stressful meeting with the village elders and looking out upon a still, serene lake at sunset. They pause for a few moments and take some deep breaths, soaking in the beauty in front of them. They continue their short walk home, sit by the fire, and have a hot meal with their loved ones. The spaciousness and natural beauty inherent in their life allows them the mental and emotional clarity with which to feel grounded after their difficult meeting with the elders, and they move forward in a healthy way. At the risk of idealizing ancient cultures, I would argue that a lifestyle such as that above is more aligned with our true nature than the ways that most of us live today. In her book, The Nature Fix, Florence Williams cites research demonstrating that when humans lived closer to nature, the stressful experiences they had were more balanced by the calm, quiet, stunning beauty of the natural world. In modern culture, we don't get the same deep resets that our ancestors did. We may not have to outrun a rabid wild animal, but we still experience stress. The difference now is that many of us have nervous systems that are constantly in a heightened state, bombarded by the effects of living within, quote, civilized culture, a culture with capitalism at its root. Capitalism is an economic system based on the private ownership of the means of production and their operation for profit. It's so steeped within our day-to-day -day lives that it's like the air that we breathe. Most of us are so used to it that we can't imagine any other way of living or working. The problem is that capitalism breeds and depends on inequality of all kinds and is only made possible through slavery and the destruction of entire communities across the world. For our purposes here, capitalism is the system through which we work and make a living for ourselves. We work for wages, receiving money for our physical, emotional, or mental labor. Our wages are necessary in order to pay for things that should be basic human rights, things like housing, medical care, food, and education. 
If we aren't able to work or to find work, we are largely denied a dignified existence, dependent upon a patronizing and ill-equipped state government. Living within this kind of system where our basic needs can only be met if we receive wages from others who own the means of production is a nightmare for many people. Communities and families break down, slavery is still necessary in order for the machine to operate, and those of us with the privilege to make the system work well enough for us are still racked with anxiety over how we'll pay our bills. It makes sense that rates of depression and anxiety are through the roof in the United States and global West, and it's foolish to blame individuals for not coping better. Anxiety and despair are understandable responses to the structures that we have set up in this society, especially among those who are most marginalized by it, namely those who cannot work or produce in the ways that capitalism demands. The ancestor you imagined previously was most likely part of a small group of up to a hundred people that practiced a hunter-gatherer lifestyle. They ate a wide variety of foods and were never dependent on one type of crop. They hunted or gathered for an average of two to three hours per day and spent the rest of the time processing their food, eating it, resting, and enjoying leisure activities. In order for capitalism to evolve, the land your ancestors hunted on or foraged from had to be sectioned off and become privately owned. Communities could no longer tap into large swaths of land which stored hundreds of food sources. With privatized land and agriculture came the demise of the ecosystems, the soil overburdened by the production of monocrops like wheat and corn. Private landowners owned those crops, which meant that instead of your ancestors going out and getting food whenever they needed it, they had to find somewhere to work for eight or more hours a day in order to pay for the food that they used to just go out and get in two to three hours. So today, you likely work more than three hours per day for your wages and then also tend to your basic needs such as buying and cooking food, doing your laundry, paying your bills, and squeezing in some rest here and there. Your life may be full of joy and peace, and I truly hope that it is. But in my ideal world, the work that you love to do would be done because you want it to be, not because you have no other means by which to live. We need a new economic system founded in justice for the planet and all of its inhabitants. But until that happens, we each need to find ways to cope within the realities of modern life. Creating a daily practice that feels centering to you will not only help you to manage stress, it will also help lead you into a career that honors your talents and your desires. Hopefully you know by now that this is not an essay on how to make yourself more productive or quote, maximize your efficiency. Capitalism requires us to move faster and produce more, and the goal of creating a daily practice in the way that I mean is to actually claim your right to move slowly and produce less. Not because you have nothing to give the world, but because moving at a manic pace is destructive and unholy. To approach our work as sacred is about claiming the peace and calm that is our birthright, and there are techniques we can use every day to do so. This module is about daily practices because, as Annie Dillard wrote, how we live our days is, of course, how we live our lives. Each day is a microcosm of your life, your attitude, your choices, and the path you're building toward your future. In modern society, there's a lot of pressure to be doing more each day and a myopic focus on self-development. But as we've seen, you are one person living within a really fucked up system, and I hope you'll give yourself permission to simply do your best. While it's true that our days are important building blocks for our lives, 
most of us need to release the pressure to make every 24-hour cycle as productive as it can be. My hope for you is that you allow every day to be as kind and as beautiful as it can be, making way for a spirit-led life. My work has been incredibly nurtured by my daily practices, and it's where I start with most of my one-on-one clients. I encourage you to take what I have to share and make it your own. At a high level, here's how I envision a healthy, helpful daily rhythm when it comes to work. It begins with a morning practice of some kind. The workday is rhythmic, it includes meaningful breaks, and it is contained within an attitude of sanctity. What that looks like will be different for each of us, but at a foundational level, you deserve to move through workdays that, at the very least, don't drain you of all of your resources. No matter what you do for work, implementing some or all of the practices I'll share can help you navigate each workday in a better way. Here are the top four ways I recommend beginning. I'll list them and then share more detail for each one. A solitary morning practice, a container for beginning and ending work, a rhythmic working style, and ongoing energetic hygiene. A solitary morning practice. It doesn't have to be at 5 a.m., but having quiet time to yourself when you wake up can be an excellent way to set intentions for the day and center yourself for what's ahead. Notice how you feel waking up to an alarm, rushing to get ready for work, get your kids ready for school, or otherwise get on with your day. Without claiming space before the day begins, you get pulled into the wild current and are likely to start your workday feeling rushed and scattered. Creating a dedicated time and place every day where you know you'll have the chance to take a breath, to write, or just enjoy a quiet cup of coffee can truly change your life. You deserve to stand on a strong foundation for your day, and a dedicated morning practice can give it to you. In case it's helpful, I'll share what my current morning practice looks like, but again, make this your own. Each night before I go to bed, I put my phone across the room and have the alarm set for 6.10 a.m. If I have it next to my bed, I'll hit snooze over and over again. My toddler's puppy clock alarm is set for 7 a.m., but sometimes she wakes up before then and we have to negotiate her staying in her room until her light turns green. We do our best and I release any guilt about having an hour to myself before the family is up because I know that it makes me a better mom, partner, and person. I start with a 15 to 20 minute meditation, either guided or just with meditation music on my own. Then I journal about what's coming up for me right now and if there's a particular concern, I'll often pull tarot cards about it and journal in response to those. I also take this time to pray or talk to the divine, asking for help where I need it. My morning practice is the primary time and place in which I process difficult or perplexing things that come up in my career. I use the quiet time to check in with how things feel in my body, what my intuition has to say about the path I'm on, and what spirit is trying to reveal to me about what's next. My morning practice has changed over the last five years, especially when I became a mother. There have been long gaps without it as Wyatt was learning to sleep on her own, nursing, or refusing to stay in her room until our agreed-upon time. But as with anything we're devoted to, I return to it again and again for nourishment, and I hope you'll implement or recommit to your own practice as well. I believe you'll find that it sets you up for easier, more focused work days, and becomes a path leading you to positive growth in your career. The second strategy I'll share is a container for beginning and ending work. Most of us are constantly connected to work via our phones and computers, and it can be incredibly draining to feel like we're always on. 
Creating containers around our work is a useful way to teach the body when to focus and when to relax. Consider how you begin and end your work days. Are there clear thresholds that you cross or routines that you use to tell yourself, now I'm working or now I'm not? The easiest way I've found to create a container is to manipulate your physical environment in some way. For me, it's getting my workspace ready and lighting a candle. At the end of my working time, I blow out the candle and clean up my workspace. This helps me release the work and have a sense of accomplishment. Other tools I've seen be useful are the, using the commute to and from work as a threshold, changing clothes as soon as one gets home, or using lists at the beginning and end of the workday. First, priorities, and then what was accomplished. I encourage you to consider new ways to create structure around your efforts so that the demands don't bleed into every area of your life. By doing so, you approach the work with intention, honoring your own time and energy. The third strategy I'll share is a rhythmic working style. You may already know about the research demonstrating how much more effective it is to work in 90-minute bursts with meaningful 15-minute breaks in between. And if you haven't, you can simply look it up. It's a common life hack approach. To work rhythmically is simply to work in alignment with your natural energy flows, and it will look different depending on you, your body, and your work environment. Some of us have more control over our work days than others, so empower yourself to make whatever changes you can. This is really about noticing how your body most wants to work and honoring its needs. Again, you are a precious person, both physical and divine. You are not a beast of burden or a machine that should be online 24-7. Here's what my working rhythm looks like on a good day in case it's helpful to you. I work in 60 to 90 minute chunks, starting each day with the most creative and intellectually demanding work. I take meaningful breaks, which means that I get away from my computer for at least 10 minutes and nourish my body in some way through a snack, water, stretching, etc. I often save face-to-face -face work or more check-things-off-a-list kind of work for later in the morning or in the afternoon when I'm feeling less creative or intellectually focused. I don't leave email open and I only check it within contained periods of time. I also keep my cell phone on do not disturb so that I'm not distracted by notifications. Working rhythmically is natural and easy to begin implementing in small ways if you feel like you can't redesign your entire workday. You could start by playing around with focused chunks of work, getting up for 10 minutes at a time, or signing out of email for as long as feels possible to you. The last strategy I'll share is about ongoing energetic hygiene. You're probably used to washing your body and brushing your teeth regularly, but are you cleaning off the gunk of the workplace in a consistent way? Just like secondhand smoke, toxic emotions are contagious, and that's true in the workplace as well. We all pick up what others are putting off, and if we don't slough it off regularly, we experience toxicity that may not even be ours. Good energetic hygiene is about creating strong boundaries that are like an intelligent, robust cell wall around us. It's also about regularly processing what we inevitably pick up at work. Consider what you're letting into your cell wall and what you keep at bay. You may be allowing the worries, overwhelm, or negativity of others that you work with into your experience. Having empathy for others is wonderful, but it becomes harmful when you don't keep clear boundaries between what's yours and what's for everyone else. For me, this looks like being clear about what's my responsibility and what's not my responsibility, clearing out difficult emotions by opening a window in my office, burning mugwort, or taking a shower at the end of the day. 
I encourage you to find the things that help you to process and clear away the, en the energy that's not ultimately helpful to you. I don't believe there's any bad energy. It's simply a matter of what's nutritious for your body and what's not. Difficult emotions are a natural part of life and they can have a lot to teach us, but we don't need to live in them all day, every day. And unfortunately, there are many people doing just that every time they go to work. For more information on this topic, you can check out a blog post I wrote a while ago called Four Easy Ways to Discharge Workplace Stress. In closing, I want to encourage you to simply begin wherever you are with whatever resources you have available to you. Ironically, taking care of ourselves can be very hard work, but in my experience personally and as a career mentor, it's even harder to create a career that's meaningful to you without the daily practices that nurture your spirit. As you consider adding or removing practices within your work days, be mindful of what your soul might be most hungry for. It could be silence, movement, transcendence, or simply the space to connect with yourself and with the divine. Thank you for being here and sharing this time with me. If you'd like to access the written version of this essay and the supplemental materials for this week, which include journaling prompts, a free 12-minute guided meditation, astrological insights about your moon sign, and more, you can sign up at the link in the show notes or on the homepage at wildnewwork.com. And if you're in Portland, please consider coming to our discussion group on Wednesday, December 4th at 9. We'll be meeting again to talk about how we apply our own spirituality to our careers. And all are welcome, but there is limited space. So if you'd like to come, visit the link in the show notes or in the emails you've received from me if you're on the newsletter list. That's what I have for you, my friends. Part three of this series will be coming out on December 5th, the week after Thanksgiving, and it will be on seasonal tools, seasonal cycles to guide you in your career. I'm really excited to share that module with you. So keep an eye out for that, and I'll be with you again soon. Bye. Bye.